0: Good morning, everyone. I don't know if (laughs) new computer, how you think everything would be solved? (laughs) I don't know if it's a remote thing or not, but sorry for that this morning. So a month ago, we had looked at a sermon that was dealing with wisdom, the way of wisdom. And so we were talking about that in the book of Genesis and looking at the very concept of, of applying wisdom in our lives. And as we were looking at those things, one of the things that, was, that stood out um, in the lesson, at least that was the intention of the lesson, was to let you know that not all decisions equate with morality, right? So as you look at this, the tree of not, the knowledge of good and evil, the word evil there is in um, Hebrew the word that can simply mean bad or a bad decision, not necessarily an evil decision. And the reality, however, is that mankind, because we don't put our trust in God, we lean upon our own understanding, our own wisdom, we continue to stray further and further away from our Creator. Well, what we're doing this morning is we're actually looking at the application of that concept of wisdom because life is not consisted of a bubble to ourselves. We, we're human beings and there's tons of us. And we, eventually we bump into each other. Right. And so we have relationships and sometimes those relationships end up in marriages or friendships. Sometimes those relationships get hindered or splintered or even severed. And so when we're talking about this concept of wisdom, we're looking at the the reality that, you know, at times we don't always apply it properly. We don't apply it the way God had intended for us if we're going to be reflectors of his image. And so that's what we're looking at this morning. And so the passage that was read in 1 Corinthians 8 is a great passage because we're talking about individuals. When they come together, lives collide. Opinions get stated. And the thing about us, and as I mentioned in the sermon last month, was... These opinions, somehow we we feel more emboldened than we ever have as a society to not just hold our tongue, but to set the record straight because, well, my wisdom is better than yours. So you need to know it so that you can grow and be like me, right? We don't say it in those words, but sometimes it'll come across that way. I mean, we all know someone, except for we're, unless we're the person, (laughs) we know someone who has all the answers, right? Right? It's been said, every congregation has it. So who is it here? <laughs> who is it? <laughs> every church has it. It's that that person has the answer, right? Whether it's the walking thesaurus or the walking dictionary, or the walking Bible encyclopedia, that brother or sister has got all the answers. It happens any, everywhere, including and amongst preachers. It happens. And so... When we're talking about this wisdom, we can see that, well, <laughs> we apply it in just about every aspect, whether it's a good application or not, right? Because wisdom, as was noted in the sermon last month, is not simply the application of knowledge, right? Get that out of your head. We, we looked at the life of Solomon last time and saw that just because Solomon was greatly wise because of the blessing that God had given to him to be wise does not mean he used it for good. Right. It can be debated whether or not the decisions that he made was, in fact, wise. And then even if it was wise, was it based upon the wisdom of this world or the wisdom of God? And so there's a lot of that going on. So that's what we're looking at. When we became Christians, Romans chapter six, verse 17, we applied that very concept of wisdom. Right. Number one, I was able to discern that I'm lost. And I may even go to the point that it affects me emotionally, that I, I would acknowledge that I am a sinful, broken down, no good person without God, right? That is a perspective that I can come to. Some others might say, I'm lost because the Bible says I'm lost and so I need to be baptized. Very, very logical. Others get wrapped up in the emotions that they, they feel the weight of that sin. And that brokenness through sin. And then we also discern that God sent his beloved son, Jesus Christ, to be a sacrifice in our place. We refer to his sacrifice as the propitiation, the substitute, if I can use it that way, in our place. And so I thank my God. Not just logically saying, okay, here's what I'm supposed to do because the Bible said so. But I thank him. And I get down on my knees, and I praise him, and I glorify his name, and I say, Lord, not my will, but your will. What shall I do? And he says, die to yourself. And so I use wisdom. And in doing so, I begin the process of being sanctified by him, by being transformed by him. All right? And whatever all that means, we start to grow And as we're growing, we look different, we act different. And when I say look different, I'm not talking the way Richard was talking this morning, very literal, look different. But metaphorically speaking, we go through these changes, we make different kinds of decisions because our thought process begins to change. No longer do I look at life from my my fleshly, worldly, sinful self, but through the eyes of my Lord who died for me and I begin to think like him and act like him. And so I look different Mitch you look different (laughs) my friends would actually say Mitch what happened to you after I became a (laughs) Christian, I was talking about guys on the wrestling team they would actually say what happened to you my answer back then was Jesus happened to me and like man you're so different right I look physically the same but my life was so radically different And so they didn't recognize me from that vantage point. And that's what we're talking about when wisdom takes place and we start growing in the Lord. But the thing about this wisdom is that we're also growing in the grace of God and and wisdom. And there's something missing in many Christians along the lines because it's so focused on this knowledge aspect that we fail to see our growth in the grace of our God. And so I'm wanting us to focus on this application where this learning that we have is going to be coming from above, but not that contrast. So in James chapter 3, if you look at James chapter 3, verses 13 through 16, even past verse 16, verse 17 following, where you have the contrast between the wisdom that is from above and the wisdom from below, right? And what he's saying is that what we need to do is grow from that worldly style of wisdom to one that is above, Well, what does it look like? Well, let's first look at what it's like before then. If you have that know-it-all in your midst, he'll correct you on every single thing. Um, Like, number one, if you can say one Greek word, you are an expert. We know that's not the truth. (laughs) But some people, if they get one Greek word in, boom, I use that word and now come talk to me, I've got the answers. Uh, In this case, I remember a particular person who wrote his own version of the New Testament in Greek. Well, then, that means he has all the answers because he was able to write the New Testament in Greek on his own. Well, granted, he's very intelligent as far as being able to do that, and he knows a lot with regard to the Greek language, but that does not necessarily mean he is the expert on all things about The teaching of God's word, right? And so we understand these things, but the problem is in this person's mind, he was better. Well, here's the result without going into details there were five people in this church. That's a problem, brethren. Souls are not being added to the kingdom because he had all the answers and everyone else was wrong, no matter who it was. And you never, you never saw the teaching that we just read in 1 Corinthians 8 or that you can see here in James chapter 3. I want you to open up to James chapter 3, and I want us to read some of the verses here to look at the contrast between the one who can point his finger. And I think it was, I don't know if it was Richard or someone else that here that uses that illustration where if you got one finger pointing to that person that you are condemning, there are three pointing back at you. So, yeah, you got that concept, right? Well, look at what James is saying with regard to those who who are practicing wisdom. And what he is saying is you need to know which wisdom you're practicing. So let me go to James chapter 3 and read here in the text. Verse 13 says, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show it by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. <coughs> meekness of wisdom. If you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above. Instead, it is earthly and sensual and demonic. Because where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there but the wisdom that is above is first pure and then it is peaceable it is gentle it is willing to yield well if you have the truth why would you yield but that's what this wisdom is saying here this wisdom is willing to yield it's full of mercy and good fruits it is without partiality and it is without hypocrisy Now, the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Now, if you know the whole context here, he was going back and saying, um, after he's dealing with this concept of having a living faith, he then says in chapter 3, in the very first verse, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. For we all stumble in word. And if anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man. He is able to bridle the whole body. Indeed, we put bits in horses' mouths that they may obey us, and when we turn their ho- and then we turn their whole body. Look at the ships. Although they are so large and are driven by fierce winds, they're turned by a very small rudder wherever the pilot desires. And even so, the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. And so it's a very important aspect of being in the kingdom of our Lord that if we're going to to have this wisdom from above, we've got to put away that old man. The problem is we're in the middle of it. We don't always get to see it until someone else points it out to us. It's hard to see it when we're the ones doing it, right? Like if I can just get real brass tacks, the know-it-all doesn't realize he's the know-it-all. Think about it, because he would never want to appear that way. I don't think if he has any heart that would be desiring God, he doesn't want to be that guy, or she does not want to be that lady, right? We want to humble ourselves before each other. The problem is we don't see ourselves as being humble. We don't see ourselves being meek. We don't see ourselves yielding. We don't see ourselves doing any of these things until someone says, I'm telling you, you're kind of hard to be around, And who's the person that ever wants to go to a person that is very hard to be around and tell them that? Those are hard decisions and hard relationships to to go through with individuals likened unto this. So, some Christians have difficulty learning this wisdom from above, but it must be made. So, here's the thing. In the kingdom of our Lord, Jesus kept saying over and over when he was giving his parables, the kingdom of heaven is like... Definitely not like the world. The kingdom of heaven, we're we seeing through the parable studies that we have on Wednesday nights, an upside down kingdom to those who have a worldly way of thinking and a worldly way of living, right? These decisions and these choices that are being made and being practiced don't look right to our way of thinking if it's very worldly. But in the kingdom, the kingdom of heaven is like saved sinners who come together, right? So look at this room, look at everyone in this room and the kingdom of heaven is like people coming together like this, but having conflicting convictions and you can go from the most nuanced non uh, nonsensical thing to something that is very fundamental that we are going and Mark and I were even talking about this after the Bible study, things that are so fundamental that we think that that person will be lost, right? And the interesting dynamic to this is the other person may not look at the very same thing as nuance. Whatever is nuanced and nonsensical to you was not, not nonsensical to them. It was very important to them. And the thing that, that you might say, that's a fellowship issue, he's going to lose his soul or she's going to lose her soul, and that person's like, no, I'm not. Interesting dynamic. That's a reality of what takes place. If you don't believe me, get vulnerable for a minute and ask the hard questions to each other, questions that you know that you're not supposed to ask in Bible class because if you do, you get run out. And see if someone's willing to answer them, and then you're going to have people going, you think that? And then you're like, okay. Mitch said go ahead and ask those hard questions. I did, and now look, I get judged. This is what happens in the kingdom of our Lord. You have in the Lord's kingdom saved sinners. They come together, but they have conflicting convictions. and 1 Corinthians chapter eight is one of many applicable examples where we can see that take place, right? The church I mean David just read for us um, chapter eight, and in the Lord's church, where are those who had taken meats that had been offered to idols, and some thought that that was completely acceptable for their reasons without going into all the the reasons themselves, and others that thought it was not acceptable whatsoever. And then Paul says the very thing that we need to practice. If anyone thinks that he knows anything, he knows nothing. Yet as he ought to know, what does that mean? If I can use modern vernacular, if anyone thinks he's a know-it-all, he doesn't know anything, as he ought to know. Well, what does he ought to know? Well, look at verse 1, or verse 2, excuse me. Knowledge puffs up, love edifies. That's what he was saying. And then he goes on saying this, right? So, our kingdom is this. Knowledge puffs up, love builds up. We all have knowledge. We all study. And some of us in this room study more than others. And so as a result, if we study more, shouldn't our words have more weight? That can be a conclusion I can come to, right? If you don't study and I study, who should, who should listen to who? Hard question to ask because just because I'm studying more doesn't mean I'm studying right. I can still get it wrong. Just because I study more than you, even if you don't study at all. But the thing is, as I'm studying, what do I think I'm studying? I think I'm studying to get more accurate in what I am studying. So I can be a better student of God's words. So I can be a better followers of Jesus Christ. So I can be a better brother or sister in Christ to my other brothers and sisters in Christ. And to those who are outside the body of Christ, better at Teaching his word and bringing them to the cross of Jesus Isn't that the intention of studying? I hope so otherwise we're wasting our time. We're just becoming academic students and Not true disciples following Jesus and so in the case here he's making the case in the kingdom of heaven are This way that it's supposed to be and it's supposed to be that we get off the high horse And look at each other in the eye with love. That's what Paul is saying here in 1 Corinthians 8. Right? And so that doesn't mean that by him saying that that everyone's viewpoints are negated. What he is saying is we're going to have to still deal with these viewpoints and get at the heart of the issue. And he does that. In the case of the situation in 1 Corinthians 8, let's go through that real quickly and then make a modern application. So, He said concerning things offered to idols. So apparently there was meat that had been offered to idols. And there's a lot of nuances attached to that. But he gives a general topic. On this matter, here's the situation. We all have knowledge on this matter. It it seemed like the church at Corinth, there's a lot of brethren. And they were on opposing views. And everyone seemed to have an opinion. Right? Concerning things offered to idols, we know that we all have knowledge. And he says, here's what takes place. Here's what knowledge does. Eventually, at some point, it just puffs us up, it inflates our ego. You know what love does? It doesn't inflate our ego, it builds the substance of the person that you are talking to. It builds them up. Which is better? Paul makes it abundantly clear which is better. He's not negating the importance of knowledge. Knowledge is important. But is he contrasting it between that and love? The answer is yes. When you compare it to these two things, here's what knowledge can do, here's what love always does. Knowledge puffs up, love edifies. And so that's the kingdom of heaven. That's what we're supposed to be like. But supposed to be like and doing it two different things. The question is, where are you in all of this? Right? So Romans chapter 12, remember passage we, many of us know. If, if, if we've not known it uh, by word and um, memorization, we get the concept. Right? I beseech you by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, that you may prove, right, that acceptable and good and perfect will. That's the concept, right? Do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove that which is perfect. So we've got this concept here that we're supposed to be transformed because that's, that's where wisdom comes in, right? We talked about that's what brought us to the cross, Not just the heart that is pricked, right, but an answer of a good conscience toward God that says, I'm going to be a slave of righteousness, Romans 6, verse 17. So we have that concept, right, that we're going to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And so as a result of that, we exercise love for one another. That's the very foundation of Christianity. Remember, what is the great commandment? Love God, love your neighbor. Right? On these two hang the law and prophets. Jesus taught it that way. The lawyers taught it that way. We see very, very clearly what the kingdom looks like. And that is this exercise of love for one another. Even through these differences like the Jews and Gentiles had. Complete opposite ends of the world as far as a cultural vantage point, And they were coming together, clashing through worldliness, but through Christ coming together united. That's what you see in these teachings. And you don't use your stumbling block, I mean you don't use your knowledge, excuse me, especially those that have that liberty mindset, to be a stumbling block. I think it was either Mark or someone that was, I was talking over here, I think it was Mark. I was using a brother in Christ that he believed, yeah, it was Mark, that believed it was wrong to use an overhead projector. This is during the transparency days, the early days of preaching for me. And I remember getting the the, the transparency projector itself. The overhead projector was pretty old looking. So imagine 1960s and 70s looking type projector. And I don't know how, I don't know what year it was made, but older. And we're setting it up. And then one of the brothers says, you can't do that. Because today you, you use the overage projector, tomorrow it's instrumental music. That was what he had said. And after that, then you go off completely into oblivion. You've left the faith. I was flabbergasted when I heard that. I mean, I was just dumbfounded. But there was another brother in the congregation, uh, close to his age, and he said, no, 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 no. Uh, The projector has nothing to do with whether or not you're being right with God or wrong with God. It has nothing to do with it. We have freedom to use this, and I'll show you the freedom. Mitch, put the projector on. (laughs) I'm in the middle of a world war going on in this small little church. That's what happened. Now, let me ask you, was it worth it? don't need a projector we don't need this overhead not even that great anyway it's all washed out <laughs> you don't get the great colors but hopefully you can at least read it. it makes sense but we don't need it is it helpful for all kinds of earthly reasons I can tell you I believe it's helpful right sometimes some parents maybe with with children they get distracted and like okay where, what point are we on oh that's helpful right it helps to regather your thoughts it helps you to see the flow of thought and some people are visual learners and not auditory learners there's a number of human reasons why that's the case but biblically speaking is there any reason why we have to have this no if it were to cause someone to stumble don't cause them to stumble And some would say, yeah, but then that person will get his way about anything. Well, that person that has that kind of mind already is divisive. There's another bigger issue to deal with. Divisiveness, not a projector issue. And so what I'm saying is that when we get into all kinds of topics, and some of them, again, may be easy for us to discuss. Others are going to be very hard for us to discuss, taboo subjects to discuss, right? I mean, I remember a time when I got in trouble preaching in the pulpit with regard to euthanasia, uh, other types of subject matters that, (gasps) suicide. You don't talk about these things unless it's going to be what everyone in our room will agree with. Never mind what the rest of the world will say about the issue. Because our view is the Lord's view. Because that's the mindset that we have. And so when we're talking about these things, it can be very simple issues. It can be very difficult issues. But the bottom line is they're going to be issues. So I use a recent example because Facebook is with over a billion, I don't know, two billion people on Facebook. I'm not sure how many now. I lost track after about 300 million, which is over 12 years ago. This is a question a brother in Christ asked a few days ago on social media. This brother was saying that he had been through a recent baptism and some of the brethren had clapped and he said it felt so good. Notice the words felt so good. I resonate with felt so good personally. Felt so good can get misinterpreted as it's only about feelings. Here's the thing some believe that a spontaneous natural celebratory reaction is just that You're at a funeral. You don't cry. I mean you cry. You don't laugh Not at least when someone's talking about sad things at funerals when we've laughed because there's a funny memory and we usually do it outside of the service, not maybe before it or after the service, and we reflect. Or even during the service when someone mentions a memory and it provokes laughter, it's a natural reaction. No one would ever say that's, not, that's indecent and disorderly because you laughed at a funeral. Well, what was the context? And so some would say in the case of a baptism, isn't that a natural reaction? We're not talking about a planned one. Okay, on three, let's all clap. No one does that right? It's a natural thing. You don't do it in a ball game and someone say but a ball game and this completely two different things granted But what's similar about the two a natural reaction that's similar Have you ever rejoiced and in your rejoicing you've laughed you've cried you've shouted you've jumped up and down I have many hundreds of times in my life and so I related to what this brother said. I said, I think it's perfectly acceptable. But how I was raised, brethren, when I became a Christian, I was raised that you don't do that because it's not biblical. And you have to prove all things biblically. And this is not decently and in order. So, therefore, clapping is wrong. Save sinners coming together with conflicting views. How do you handle that how do you deal with it does this person say because I have a Bible verse I'm with the Lord and the other person that didn't use a Bible verse is not with the Lord because some have made that conclusion how do we handle it well here's how you handle it you love each other is that what Paul said Is that how you deal with it? This is not the only place, by the way, that you deal with things like this. Someone mentioned, I think Jesse mentioned in the Bible class, Romans 14. Look at that situation. It's similar, a little nuanced difference, but how was it handled? With love for each other. That's two exact, uh, two specific examples, and both times, love was the answer. So if we have explicit teaching on how it was handled... How should we handle it? If we're wanting to follow a pattern, we've handled it the same way. So what do we do? Well, I can tell you here. I don't know when it when it happened. It was, it's been years now, but I remember it was on a. I don't know if it was on a, another day of the week or whatever it was. Someone had had been baptized, and the brethren that were here, we all clapped. Was it wrong? And that's where we, we study the scriptures, and, and we go through all of our different baggages that we have from the past that we bring into the discussion, including our understanding of God's word, including our misunderstanding of God's word. We're, we're flawed human beings. We, we know we're smart. We all have knowledge, but we're not perfect in that understanding. Not one of us in this room would ever admit, I hope, would never admit that we've got it all understood. And so how do we deal with this? And this is one of just an infinite number of discussions, of conflicts that take place in our lives. The way you handle it actually reveals your heart. It really does. How you not only handle it explicitly in front of each other, but how you handle it when you're not with each other when you're thinking about each other, right? Because that's where God sees the heart. Like, that person is an idiot. I just won't tell him that. God knows our heart. That person does not love God, does not respect his word, does not respect his authority. God hears your thoughts. And I cannot imagine... If you've ever, brethren, ever have been on the receiving end where someone has said that about you, how much that can hurt you. I've been on the receiving end many times. I thank God that I've lived through it all and and more convicted than ever about my own convictions. But I've also seen others on the receiving end who have left the faith. Left the faith. What was lacking was what Paul said. We all have knowledge. Knowledge puffs up. Love builds up. And as sure as I stand here, I'm looking at you. You all have your own stories. And you all have your own caveats. And you all have your own concerns. We should. We all have our own stories. We all have our caveats. And we all have our concerns about the what ifs. And when the final breath has come in our lives on the things that in our mind was not important but was important to someone else, and the things that were so important to me that was not important to anyone else, we're going to draw our last breath and we're going to stand before God. And then we will learn what was most important. We will. Because we'll be face to face and then it'll all come to pass we'll stand before that judgment seat and we will know really what was important and so when you study the scriptures what was important was it principles that have turned into laws right or was it principles that were left at principles and we flesh out those things in our practical day-to-day decision making individually and collectively how does that all work out? I tell you right now, I don't have all the answers. In fact, I don't know if it was Steve in our Bible study this morning. Some of you may think this a cop out of Mitch Davis, but I mean what I'm saying sincerely. As I've grown in the Lord, there are things that I was so, so convicted about. I mentioned a brother in Christ this morning in our Bible study. It was not recorded, so I mentioned his name. It's now recorded, so I'm not going to mention his name. <laughs> That in my mind, he's completely lost. I don't think that way today about him at all. I think he's a person who loves God passionately. And I disagree with him about this subject matter. And I'm thankful that I'm not God. And the things that I was so convicted about, I'm now saying, this person could be right. Whereas in the past... That person that I said was lost, he was not right at all. And I've studied on that subject matter, I can't tell you how many hours, more since then. That's where I am. And you know what I'm glad to? And I hope you're glad for, for, to be the same. I'm glad you're not my God. And I hope you think you're glad I'm not your God. God will make all things revealed. Explicitly, emphatically, pointedly, here's what we're told to do when the conflict comes together. And at some point, we have to deal with these issues, whatever they may be. And and the problem is that sometimes, as I had put out when I made my answer on social media, on that subject matter, My answer was, we took a metaphorical molehill and made it into a mountain that was never a molehill to begin with. That's where I stand on that particular subject matter. And I may be in the minority here, and that's okay. Again, you're not my God. (laughs) I'm not yours. I know we have to have fellowship with each other, and so say, oh, Mitch, you have lost it. You clap at a baptism, we have no fellowship with you, pack up your bags, this is your last Sunday. Because in some churches that actually happens, by the way. I thank God it hasn't happened to me here. It allows me to continue sharing my convictions. And some of you, you're happy with them. Some of you, you're uncomfortable with them. And same congregation. It's always going to be that way, brethren. I will always make some of you uncomfortable. You will always make someone else uncomfortable with your convictions. Some of us, we cringe when we hear words spoken by one another in the congregation. Why? Because we have different views. How do we handle those differences? And therein lies the true heart of an individual. I'll say this to conclude. If you come into the Lord's kingdom... It is a humbling, growing process. And my hope is that when you come into the Lord's kingdom, you come in being and believing that you can open up, be vulnerable, and not be condemned. That's my hope, personally. I think when that happens and when more and more people that we share the gospel with can feel that way, You'll see more and more people turn to the Lord from the vantage point. Let me flip it around. When I don't feel like I can be vulnerable to you, I feel like I have to be just, I got to follow your club. Now, this is the way they, people in the world think because I've talked with people in the world about this. And they look at the church in a way as like a social club and I don't fit your mold. They never turn in. And I'm hoping that more and more people that we come into contact wants to come into the kingdom. Not naturally, yes, they, they will have to count the cost and what have you. But we don't have to make the burden any greater than the Lord has made it for them, which he says it is light. We don't have to make it greater. What we can do is see them where they're at, know that I have some differences with them, right? Some, I mean, brethren, we, we know the, long, the old stories in the past. The man with the long hair. Uh, Richard, we had that discussion this week, but I was just thinking about a uh, discussion with Don and others about the long hair. You can't serve at the Lord's table. You're not respecting God, right? I think those days, by and large, for many places are, are over. It still exists in other places. You can't serve at the table that way. Or if you've got an earring or you've got different colored hair, We've already had those discussions here in the past. But I hope that these very individuals that we want to share the gospel with turn to the Lord. And that we lift them up, not puff ourselves up. And if you hear and you want to be in that kind of kingdom, let me warn you. The church is far from perfect. Let me clarify what I just said. We are perfected in Christ and through his blood. But as human beings, we're not perfect. We have hypocrisy in the body of Christ. We have cheaters and liars. We have people that do things out of wrong, impure motives. But we are perfected through the blood of Christ, and we're hopefully being changed and transformed by the renewing of our minds. And God is gracious to let us go from this worldly human being that's in the body of Christ and continuing to draw closer and closer to him and look more and more like him. I hope, brethren, that you will see that as the way we are. I don't think we come in and that we're perfect and we stay perfect all our lives. Otherwise, we would never have to repent anymore. We'd never have to change any views that we ever had. We don't even have to be taught because we know. So that's your invitation. And if you're subject to it, I want you to die to yourself so that you can use the wisdom of God and that you can grow together with the rest of us. And brethren, if you need prayers, I mean it sincerely so that we can be a body of of individuals. I think Steve Garrett had a sermon about the church being a hospital that we can heal each other's wounds, so to speak, that we can be there for each other Be at each other's sides. Use the opportunity that we have. Traditionally, we have an invitation where you can ask for our prayers. And by all means, we sincerely mean that. Come forward. Let your prayers be known. Or come forward and become a child of God. That's the invitation right now. Together, we stand and sing.